Good morning and welcome everybody. It's wonderful to be here once again with you, Northview Church Online. For those of you tuning in, welcome. It's awesome to be here with you. So, you know, one thing that I'm really missing lately through this season of pandemic is just looking out here and seeing all of you, but more than that, hearing all of you sing together and lift your voices in praise to the Lord. It's such a beautiful sound and it blesses my soul each week and I miss it. Sometimes if I close my eyes while we're up here, I can almost hear you guys singing from home. Gary, if you're tuning in, sometimes I can almost imagine you back here singing your heart out. So I hope from home that you're singing out this morning. But I really want to encourage you this morning that whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, to not just let this wash over you, but to actually participate, to join in with us in worship this morning. It would be super easy to just sit there and let it just kind of surpass you by. And I know it can feel awkward or weird even to sing at home alone. But I want to urge you to get past that. Choose this morning to lift your voice, to bless the Lord as we bring him a sacrifice of praise this morning, okay? So can you do that? Push past. Join us this morning and let's bless the Lord.
Father, at times we get so busy, we forget to set time aside for you. So first off, Lord, we ask that you forgive us for not taking time to offer you worship and praise as is due your name. Help us to not only sing praise to you on Sunday mornings, but actually to live out lives of praise and worship before you every day. Lord, may you be pleased this morning with our worship. May you be blessed for your glory and your honor this morning. Lord, we love you so much. We offer all of this to you in your name. And all of you at home this morning say, amen. Thank you, Esther and the team, for leading us in worship. Deeply appreciate that. Hope you at home had a great time worshiping along with us. And, and just know, we're, although we're all scattered, we're all in our homes, and we can't hear each other singing. God can, and he says that it is a fantastic sound to him. And so uh, join in with us and, and celebrate and worship together. Take your Bibles, if you will. We're in a new series called Truth Versus Lies. And... Um, Last week, uh, we looked at the idea of covenant. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, and David. And we saw in all these instances that the covenant was initiated by God and that it was intended to be reciprocal, that the people that it was extended to were expected to respond in covenantal agreement and loyalty to Yahweh. Loyalty to Yahweh meant loyalty to his ways, to his laws, to his statutes, to his decrees. It was called a suzerainty covenant. The covenant is initiated by the stronger, more powerful party and then extended and offered to the weaker, more dependent party. In this case, Yahweh initiates his covenant with the people, the nation that he created, Israel. And the question is, what was or is God's heart behind this? What is he hoping for? What's the expected result? And we find the answer to this in Deuteronomy 5, verse 29, where God sees the people responding to him. And he says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. God initiates covenant so that it might Go well with us. You know, we have to think about that. You know, when God says no to something, and right, he does, and often we're disappointed, but when God says no to something, it isn't because he's against us. It's because he's for us, and he wants to bless us. We find this spirit multiplied and repeated over and over and over in the Psalms. You can't get away from it. In this series, we're going to look at some of the truths and some of the lies that were exposed in the Psalms. So to get started this morning, let's pray and seek the Lord for his wisdom and grace. Father in heaven, as we come, we recognize the Psalms are a treasure trove. They are uh, loaded with expressions that are uh, deep and layered. And Father, that there's multiple uh, sides to it. And Lord, as we walk through, we know we won't be able to cover everything. But we pray the things that we do cover will breathe a new insight and, and an appreciation for the absolute genius and skill of David and the other psalmists who wrote and uh, will help us relationally be closer and warmer with you. And we seek for your presence. We ask 
for your manifest presence to be among us, Lord, especially as we're scattered now in our different locations. Father, uh, you're not limited by that. You can come upon us, and we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. So take your Bibles this morning, turn to Psalm 1, uh, and it reads like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In the Bible, a blessing is depicted as a mark of God's relationship with a person or a nation. When a person or a group is blessed, it's a sign of God's grace on them and among them. To be blessed means that a person or people take part in God's plans for the world and for humanity. Another way to say it is that God's approval or favor is granted, and thus blessing is upon that person or that people group or that nation. We would say today, New Testament, right, the church, we would say that his grace has been given us through Jesus Christ or has been poured out upon us in Jesus Christ or that we've been blessed in Christ. The Old Testament expression of that was, may his face shine upon us. Look at Psalm 67, one through three. It reads like this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine shine upon us. And then there's a word Selah there. We'll come back to that in just, just a second. But that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, and let all the peoples praise you. The term Selah, I mentioned that earlier, means to take a break or a better expression would be pause. In other words, don't just keep reading or in their case, it was a song they were singing. Don't just keep singing, but rather stop and contemplate what was just said. Here it means to consider what it means for God to be gracious to us and to make his face shine upon us. What what does that look like? What's the expression of that? What does making his face shine upon us look like? Well, there are some really great human parallels that can help us here. Uh, I think all of you will be able to relate these. Example number one, when a parent gazes down at their newborn child. There is nothing like a baby that brings out radiance in people's faces. The child is handed to the mother or father and they gaze down at this brand new human being and what happens? Their face just lights up, right? All the hopes and fears and love and joy are caught in that instant in a person's face. You can't hide it. Everybody can see it. Literally, the person's, the parent's face shines. Example number two, when a husband and wife gaze, each, gaze at each other on their wedding day. When done right, when seeking the blessing of God, a wedding day radiates this. We say the couple is literally lit up for each other. And that's why everyone waits for the part of the ceremony where the kiss happens, right? Why? Because they want to know, does it work? Is it real? Does it make them shine? There's a reason that 95% of the songs in the world are about love, because that's when we remember being lit up. Example number three, when a grandparent plays with their grandchildren. We get another window into this uh, in a completely different way. Grandparents' love is unique. 
And uh, grandchildren love Nana and Papa. It's a mutual admiration society. The grandparent is radiant with their love for the grandchild, and nothing in the kid's life is greater than going to grandma or grandpa's place. They scramble to get out of the car, right, and get to the house. I remember our kids, we, we were so worried we were taking off on missions trips and stuff and worried, you know, they're going to be okay, us leaving them and all this kind of parental angst that we had. Man, we'd hit grandma and grandpa's door and boom, they were gone. No goodbyes, no hugs, no, just blew. They knew exactly where the toys and the goodies were and they were safe and they were loved. They were with Nana and Papa and their faces showed it, right? What could possibly be better? Well, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, there are many more examples, but these human illustrations pale in comparison to when God's face, his blessing, his kindness, we would say his grace, shines upon us. The psalmist, in this case, King David, is saying, stop. Don't just race it. Stop for a second and think of what it means when your life has God's blessing on it. It is so powerful and so awesome that it should be sought out at any cost. And Jesus tells us that when you find it, trade everything you got for it. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. He Then in his joy, his radiance, his countenance, the blessing, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that land. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This idea here of the pearl of great price, the treasure of God's blessing being on our life, uh, was officially instituted in the nation of Israel by God in the book of Numbers. I know you probably isn't, Numbers isn't one of your favorite places to have a quiet time, but in here there's a real gem. The Lord was speaking to Moses, and he said to Moses, speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. In other words, there was a specific way God wanted it done, and here's how he said to do it. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This idea of God's face shining on us, on his people, had the same connotation as his name being on them. They would be blessed, they would shine, because God's name was on them. So now let's come back to Psalm 1 and consider not just what it says, but who's writing this. Again, who's writing these particular psalms we're looking at? It's King David, right? And we saw last week that King David was invited into a covenant relationship with God, and God told him that he would extend that blessing not just to David himself, but to David's entire dynastic line. Let's look at David's reply again. He comes in, God, through the prophet Nathan, tells him what he's going to do. And it says that David goes in and he sits before the Lord and he says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. 
And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. David is stunned. He can't believe what God has just promised him. It was one thing for God to say he would bless David's rule over the nation. Every king desired that. Every king wanted that. Every king would be pretty much satisfied with that. But it was an entirely different matter for God to say that David's entire line would rule and be blessed by God. The saying was he would never lack for a man to sit on the throne. And that the Messiah would come out of it. David was overwhelmed with God's blessing. And so with that in mind, we're going to walk in now to the Psalms. Let's take a look again at Psalm 1 and relook at what it says, keeping all of this background in mind. Psalm 1 reads like this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person who has God's blessing on their life and avoids the way of the world and embraces the way of God, which is revealed in his word. It starts out by telling us what not to do if we want God's blessing in our life. There are three things that are clearly pointed out that need to be avoided if we wish to have God's blessing on our life. They are not walking in the counsel of the wicked, not standing in the way of sinners, not sitting in the seat of scoffers. Let's examine each of these. Number one, not walking in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked could also be understood as the way of the wicked. The prophet Amos tells us, do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? In other words, I allow the thoughts of the wicked to control the direction the way in which I'm walking of my life. There are tons of illustrations of this, but let's just pick one. Let me read you this example. It goes like this. One day at my house, I parted the shades and I was looking out the window of my house and I saw a bunch of young men hanging out on the street corner. And one of the young men particularly caught my attention because I could tell he was up to something. And so I kept watching and saw him begin to leave and I saw him head down a street and round the corner to a place where he shouldn't go. I knew where that road led. That road led to her house. It was in twilight in the evening at a time of night and darkness when he didn't think anybody would notice. And it goes on to say a married woman, an adulteress, dressed to the nines, seductive, clever, comes out and meets him and says, hey, sweetie, let's have us a little fling. We can go all night. And, and don't be afraid. My husband is on a big business trip and he won't be back for a long time. This is the Mitchell's revised version of Proverbs 7. And it goes on to say with much seductive speech. Have you ever been seductively pulled in by your friends into something that you didn't want to do? With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, that phrase has a finality to it. All at once he follows her. And as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces his liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know 
that it will cost him his life. Notice the author uses three types of traps to highlight how deadly this path this young man has taken. Number one, a slaughterhouse. Number two, arrows that pierce the body from a trained archer. And number three, a snare. And the end result of them are the same. It will cost him his life. The book of Romans tells us that the wages, the payday of sin is death. Again, the warning, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So it is today. The counsel of the wicked? Well, it doesn't matter if you play around with sexual impurity. What's, what's a little pornography? And sex, come on, it's great. And needing to be married before you're married? Like, please, that is so old school. That is so yesterday. Nobody believes that anymore. Everybody's doing it. Who the heck even cares? God? Well, when was the last time he was around? Don't you know science has relegated him to the dustbin? And this is just one area where this kind of thinking proceeds. There are many such roads, ways, if you will. Psalm 1 calls it walking down a path or walking in a path. You can do it, but the blessing of God goes off your life. And in the end, the very thing you thought would bring you life brings death instead. Number two, not standing in the way of sinners. Standing here carries the sense of standing in the way or the place of sinners. In other words, purposely positioning yourself so that they run into you. This has to do with who your friends are. Often, what we think is that if I just go to hang out with friends, it's okay because I won't be doing what they're doing. I'll just be hanging with them. But by standing in that path, again, I put myself in grave danger. And here's why. What's my hope when I do this? My hope is that, you know, they're going to notice I'm a Christian, right? They're going to look at my good life, my, my language, my morals, my speech. And because of that, they'll want to become like me. But most of the time, what happens is rather than them becoming like me, I find out that I start becoming like them. It, it backfires on me. Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians says. Bad company ruins, or another word is corrupts, good morals. When I stand where they walk, where they go, I invite trouble. Here's the real problem. So often our intentions are good. To reach out to people who need Christ, and to reach them, I have to go where they are. This is good mission strategy, and it's what, exactly what Jesus did. But the twist is when I want something that God told me no to. Then I can go to the places and stand there and the opportunity becomes convenient. I want to stand in the path. In other words, in the direction or the place of sin. I I make provision for it. I set myself up so it can happen. Now again, I can do this. We've all probably done that at one point or another in our life. But the point that the psalmist is trying to make is that the blessing of God goes off my life. Number three, not sitting in the seat of scoffers. Uh, This one is not hard at all. Uh, Where do we sit in our modern world and absorb those who scoff at God and his claims? Well, the TV is one place, right? Uh, it's, It's prominent and it's still to some extent very, very relevant. 
Then came the next wave. The next wave was our computers, which is still true. And we usually sit down when we are at our computers. And now, now, it's right here, folks. Right? Here it is. It's called what? A smartphone. Now, now we can be scoffed at, both God and us, 24-7. And let me be clear that not everything on TV, not everything on my computer, not everything on my phone is evil or scoffs at God. But it is true that many, many people are replacing their time with God for time on their smartphone. Clever marketing, by the way. How well do you think it would have gone if they would have called it a dumb phone? When you spend and look at things that are sinful and you're not supposed to, you're a dummy. No, what do they call it? Smart. Wow, if I do this, I'm smart. I'm clever. But again, and again, I can do this. But again, it may cost me the blessing of God. The opposite, of course, between the way, the path, and the seat of sinners is the way, the path, and the seat of righteousness, the way of God. David draws this context with the next verse. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. Too often this is taken as kind of like a slavish, tyrannical demand for obedience and conformity. Uh, But notice how the phrase starts out. David uses a, a particular word. What's the word? Delight. What does delight mean? Well, delight means to bring great pleasure or deep satisfaction to someone. But his delight, his deep satisfaction, his great pleasure is in the law of the Lord. Here again, we don't think that way, especially in New Testament. Uh, we think of the law as rules and requirements that are impossible to obey and onerous to keep. And, and day and night, like 24-7, man, I wouldn't have time for any of my other stuff. But that was not David's perspective. The law of the Lord gave him light and life. The law of the Lord gave the way of the Lord for him that David followed. The law of the Lord gave David success. David was overjoyed with what God had done for him and promised to do for him. And in this, here's the principle. It is not hard to focus on something that you delight in. Think about this. This is true for us. Uh, think about the things that you delight in. What do you delight in? Maybe, maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? And you just can't stop thinking about them. Or how about a sport or a hobby that just captures your imagination? Or, or maybe it's something like gardening. You just see the creation of God when you're out working among the earth and the plants and it's a, the fragrances. It's just a delight to your soul. Or, or maybe it's a craft that you have that uh, takes discipline and skill and you absolutely delight in it. Or maybe it's your husband or your wife and you absolutely delight in them. Maybe your kids. See, if you delight in them, it's not hard to focus on them. Even when you're away, you're thinking about them or it, whatever it is, and it doesn't take much to bring your heart back to it. Well, this is talking about delighting in God the same way. And if you delight in him, your focus is on him no matter what you're doing. He is not 
far from your thoughts. He is not far from your heart. He's not far from your affections. So David then is setting up this contrast of these two different types of people. One who delights in God and one who delights in the way of sinners. And for the one who delights in God, he says this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruits in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but all are like chaff that the wind drives away. This is so immediate to our situation today. You have to remember here in this picture that we're talking about a Middle East environment here, not the Pacific Northwest. Uh, How in the world does a tree stay green, prosper, bear fruit in a harsh, dry desert climate? And why do the wicked dry up like chaff and get blown away by the wind? What's the difference between the Pacific Northwest and the Middle East? And the difference is water. And what is water a metaphor in the Bible? Water is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said? It says Jesus stood up. He was in the temple and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Without With water, one flourishes, one stays green, one bears fruit. Without water, one dries out and flies away like chaff. What that means is not whether we go through hard times or not, but whether our root system, if we're rooted to the source of life, water, the Holy Spirit, during those hard times. Let me illustrate this. Pam read something to me this week that really uh, stood out. Obviously, uh, the last three months have been difficult, right? And we're already kind of squirming, and we're kind of irritated, and we've run out of patience, and we just want to get, you know, we're done with it. So, uh, you know, and it's, it's been somewhat of a struggle. Uh, does that mean we are just, we should just fall apart? Does that mean our, our students are doomed to disaster because they can't graduate? Does that mean the church is going to dry up and blow away like chaff? Well, if we think we've had it hard and, and wonder if God can actually, really, practically lead us through something like the COVID-19 pandemic, consider this. If you were born in the year 1900, by the time you turned 14, you'd have entered World War I. World War I was the war to end all wars that claimed the lives of 11 million people. And you would have lived through the terrors and fears of that war until you were 18. If that wasn't bad enough, when you turned 18, you would have now had to deal with the Spanish flu epidemic, which killed 52 million people around the world. Add to that, less than 10 years later, you are now 29, and you have to endure and live through the deprivations of the Great Depression. And just when you thought things were getting better, less than 10 years later, you now have to live through World War II. And this does not include polio, scarlet fever, whooping cough, measles, and the tuberculosis outbreaks that all happened during that same period. What was the net result during that time? The net result was the church 
flourished in those years. Not only did the church flourish, but the second wave of the modern Missions Day movement sent the gospel all over the world. Again, it must be stated that rather than this being the end of things, this could quite possibly be the beginning and the opening for the revival in the Northwest that we have all been praying for. David believes this kind of stuff, and he ends his psalm with this thought, and he carries it all the way through the Psalms and through the Bible. He says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God's blessing will be on those who choose his way. David emphatically underlines that God knows. He knows our circumstances. It says he knows the way of the righteous and he knows the way of the wicked. And David is very clear that there will be a judgment and that the wicked will not stand in it. So if that's true, then the biggest question on the table this morning is how does one become righteous? A righteous person like David is talking about. How does one find God's way? How does one delight in God's truth? How does one gain what the Bible calls eternal life? How does one enter into, as we've been talking about, a covenant relationship with God? Well, jump forward 900 years to the time of Jesus, and Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Psalm 1 language, Jesus is saying this, I am the path. If you want to delight in God and find eternal life, come through me. If you want to enter into a covenant relationship with me, if you want to be righteous and not cast away like chaff, if you want a blessed life, surrender to me the same way David surrendered to me. Enter into a covenant with me just like David did. Come to me and let me save you. You know, David did that. Many others have done that. And many of us can testify that all things have not just gone perfectly well for us and we've faced many difficulties and trials. There's nothing like a life that has the blessing of God on it. It pays dividends not only here, but it also pays dividends in the next life. And we're going to look at that all the way through the Psalms. I hope you'll continue to join us, and I hope you'll consider this. We'll give that more thought as we go further uh, in our study. But let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, there may be someone out there right now who has been playing with sin, playing with fire, thinking, ah, it doesn't make much difference. I'm getting away with it. Besides, nobody knows because I'm in my home and nobody can see. But Lord, your eyes roam the earth looking for those who delight in you. And Lord, we pray that this uh, message this morning would give a, a clear warning to people that they should turn to you and, and turn to uh, delight in you rather than delighting in the things of the world or the sinful things that can come our way. And Lord, there may be someone out there who realizes, well, I am outside that relationship. I don't have it. I know it. Lord, may they find themselves crying out to you and saying, Lord Jesus, please, I'd like to come into a covenant relationship with you. I'd, I, I beg you to forgive me of my sin and, and to save me. I want to be 
in your, I want your blessing on my life. God, answer their prayer. Today, right now, this morning, answer their prayer. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right, well, Esther and them are going to close us out with worship. Would you stand at home? And again, let's worship together. Remember, God hears us all singing. Uh, sing with joy, sing with delight.
Father God, may that be our prayer as a church, as your bride, that you would use us collectively for the glory of you and your son and your kingdom here on earth. Hear our prayer, O Lord. And everybody at home this morning says, amen. Again, thank you, Esther and team, for worship. Great pick of songs. Deeply appreciate you leading, and we hope that you've had a great time uh, worshiping at home together. So we've got some questions for you that you and your family can discuss together, and hopefully you can take it farther than uh, where we've gone actually with the message. So let's begin with the questions, and after the questions, we'll have some prayer points. So question number one, you're talking about uh, advice of wicked people. Have you ever had someone give you wicked or wrong counsel? In your life, has somebody ever given you bad advice that later you went, wow, why did I listen to them? Uh, number two, this will require a little bit of humility, but have you ever gone down a wrong path? One that you knew you shouldn't have gone down in. And how did it start? Number three, have you ever sat with the wrong people only to realize that they really weren't your friends? They said they were. They acted like they were, but they really weren't. And, and how did you come to the realization that they really weren't your friends? Number four, what does it mean for you to delight in the Lord? What, if you had to put thoughts and words to that, what does it look like for you? Number five, how have you been keeping your leaf green Remember the tree with its roots grounded in the water there? How have you been keeping your leaf green during this whole pandemic? What has kept your delight for the Lord alive? And then question number six, will you be ready when the judgment comes? On to the prayer points. Uh, number one, let's remember as a church family to pray for Kathy Kennard and her family with the loss of Richard. Uh, we'll again give you more information as we get farther down the road, but, but let's pray for her, all right? And then number two, let's remember to pray for single-income families who are really getting walloped right now. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of single moms who are raising their kids and had waitresses' jobs or those kind of things, and uh, they have no options. And uh, it's heavy on my heart, and uh, I'd like to pray for them. Number three, let's remember to pray for marriages and families and students and, and children who are <laughs> starting to get, for lack of a better word, cabin fever, right? Uh, with all this nice weather and that's going out, we're, we're getting itchy to get out and do stuff. Uh, let's, let's pray for us that way. Number four, let's continue that pr God would destroy the, the coronavirus. Let's pray that he would eliminate it or come up with uh, a good way to... Uh, not have it be as contagious as it is. And then number five, let's also pray on the exact opposite side of that coin, that God can use this pandemic for his glory, that he can turn it to his purposes and that he can get many people uh, to respond to him. So there's your questions. There's your prayer points for the day. Hope you have a great time going through them as a family. We'll see you next week.
Can all come to. 